as we wrap up our walk through the book of Acts, we've been on a journey, a journey that has seen the birth of a movement. It has seen the Pentecost story. It has seen the death of persons for their belief, whether it be Stephen or others. We have heard of amazing transformations in Paul and many other Gentile and Jewish people throughout the book. And the saving of a people and the resurrecting of a church over a corrupt government. It's something that if it was in a movie, you would expect as we come to the end of the book to have an epic battle where the people of the church would rise up against Caesar. And as Paul and Peter and the followers of the church find themselves towards the end of the book, you would expect them to confront Caesar and his people You would expect an an ending that would compare to Casablanca or It's a Wonderful Life or Gone with the Wind. An epic ending to an epic story. But the ending we get is this. In Acts 28, beginning in verse 30, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his town. He rented a house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. You, you've been hearing this story of oppression and hurt, of the rising up of a movement against the powers that be, and the ending is, hey, Paul hung out at his house, and people came by to visit, and every now and then he would talk about Jesus, but nobody messed with him. It's, it's kind of like that, that ending of, and everyone lived happily ever after. But it leaves you with so many questions. Did the gospel stick in Rome? Did Paul get to share with Caesar? What about Peter? You know, Peter was a big proponent in this whole book, and then all of a sudden we just don't hear about him. What happened to Peter? But instead, what we see is what a film term would call a cut to black. It just kind of ends. It leaves the audience unclear and wanting more as to what happened. And as we look at this idea of fading to black, I've started to realize that it tells us something. It tells us something about ourselves, and as we begin to see why it takes place, we understand something about the scriptures. Because over and over in the scriptures, this idea of fading to black occurs. It's not just an act, but if you look at like Jonah, God says, hey, go to Nineveh, tell them of God's love. But Jonah, because the Ninevites are violent and cruel people that have killed many of his people, he has an issue with this, and he goes the other way until a big fish comes and swallows him up. He stays in the belly for three days, it go, and then eventually it vomits him up on shore, and he goes and he proclaims. And they receive the good news. And Jonah gets upset. And he goes and he sits under a tree and he, and he pouts. And I, and I love what he says in, in chapter 4 of Jonah in verses 1 and 2 when he says, I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and reject all, and ready to reject punishment. I knew, I knew you were good, God. And that's why I didn't want them to hear this good news. And then in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4 it says, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, 
though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? What? That's the end of the book of Jonah. What then? How, how does Jonah respond to that? Did his heart change about the Ninevites? Did he just stay under that tree and pout for the rest of his life? Why does God care about their livestock? So many questions arise, but it just stops there. Or in Luke 15, we hear the story of the prodigal son. You know, the son that goes to his father and says, Give me my inheritance. I just wish you were dead. And he goes off and he squanders it on wild living, only to find himself sitting in the pig pens going, I, I would... Be, I would rather be a slave to my, to my father. And so he goes home. And as he's returning to his father's home, his father sees him a long way off and he runs up to him and he grabs him and he embraces him and he loves him. And he throws a party. And as he's throwing the party for his son, his other son comes home. And he's upset. And he's upset and he proclaims that, Dad, you know, I stayed here with you. I always did what you asked me to do. And you never even gave me and my friends even like the smallest thing to have a party. And we just kind of end there. We don't know if the second son stayed outside and never went into the party and never embraced his brother. We don't know what happens next. Or perhaps the most bizarre one to me is in Mark chapter 16, in verse 8. And, and, and if you're looking at Mark 16, you'll see that um, many of your scriptures, many of our scriptures, our Bibles will say after verse 8, something along the lines of this was added later for verses 19 through 20, or 9 through 20 rather. They were added later. It originally ended in verse 8. After the resurrection, and what we hear is that trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Period. This is how the gospel ended. This is how uh, the gospel of Mark ended. It just fades to black. And I, and I think the confusion of, wait, what, is why we see that verses 9 through 20 were later added. Eugene Peterson is quoted about uh, saying about Mark. He says, Mark has just brought a new genre of literature to being and a gospel. But instead of wrapping it up in a nice finished product so that we can admire his genius at the last minute, Mark steps aside and hands us the pen and says, Here, you write the conclusion to the resurrection with your life. And I love how Eugene points this out because I think what he's pointing out is why many biblical authors are not, aware, are not worried about cutting to black. Uh, they're, they're giving us the pen. They're saying, what will you write for God's glory with your life? It's not over. The next chapter is yours to write. The Bible is made up of 66 books written by 44 different authors over 3,400 years. 
and but the pro- biggest thing that we've always lost is this: is that we look at the book, uh, the Bible, and we go, "It's a book of information that we need to just." implant in our brain but the bible is not simply a book of information of what has happened it is an invitation for us to enter into the story of god that is still unfolding and as we understand that it's not simply an information book about what has happened but an invitation to participate in what is happening and what will continue to happen then it should transform how we engage with the scriptures that we no longer just simply read them for our own understanding and for our own to be able to quote them but instead we don't read them we allow them to read us and point and shine light into our lives and to show us how to live and to question why we do what we do and how we do to as we read it we begin to realize that it's an invitation to something bigger than ourselves in jonah if we read it in that light and through that lens what we see is it's a call to wonder who are those people in my life that i hate that if god was to say go and share i would run the other way because i wouldn't want them to know who are those people i need to forgive what, what would I do if God called me to go to that person in my life that has caused me the greatest source of hurt and pain and asked me to extend love to them and mercy and grace? Would I obey? Would I run the other way? What would I do if God looked at me and, and said, hey, all these things I've given you, you didn't earn them either, so why should I not care for them? What would my response be? Or in the prodigal son, we, we, are, we are called to ask maybe, which son am I? Am I the one that openly rebelled against his father and said, just give me my inheritance and I'm done here? Or am I the one that kind of that has more of a socially acceptable rebellious nature? Because notice... Both children are rebellious. The other one, he just does it in a more socially acceptable way where he does everything the father wants, but then he goes, oh, but you owe me. And we can either interact with God in both ways where we can go, God, I'm done here and I'm done with you. Or sometimes we go, God, I did this for you, so what are you going to do for me? Who are we? How do we interact when people extend or receive grace that we don't feel like they've properly, quote unquote, earned? Or Mark 16. I'm reminded of a song that I once came across. And it says that he came singing love and he lived singing love. He died singing love. He arose in silence. For the love to go on, we must make it our song. You and I be the singers. And the song has three other verses where it says things like, He came singing faith. He lived singing faith. Or he came singing hope. He lived singing hope. He died singing peace. But all verses end with, for the love, but he rose in silence. For the love to go on, we must make it our song. What song are we singing to this world? You see, Acts, as we have walked through the book of Acts, it's not a thesis, it's not a documentary, it's not a biopic about the early church that we just go, oh, like a history book and we take it in. But it's an invitation to take the pen and start writing the next chapter for the church. 
Because the story and transformation didn't end in Acts. And it hasn't ended today. The work of the church and the work of God is still going on. Resurrection is still happening. The story is telling us that we have a role to play in the next chapter. So what will we do? If you if you scroll back and you and you look back at Acts twenty eight and verse twenty eight, it says, Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. They will. Not they have, they will. It's going to happen. Future tense. This isn't some information book, but it is an invitation. And what role will you play? What story will you write with your life? What song are you singing? See, Acts 28 is not just the end. But it's one of those... To be continued. And as the story and the song are continued, the question is, what are we writing? What are we proclaiming? What are we singing? How do we continue the story of God's resurrection and love through the body of Christ known as the church? Amen and amen.